the day before, and, you know, fish is not quite the same in the desert. Yeah, I would imagine not. <laughs> it's not quite the same. Hello, friends, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of So Poetry. Um, I'm very honored to have one of my oldest and dearest poet friends, um, Holly Dugas, on the podcast. Uh, we have known each other since, like, halfway through undergrad? A little, little less than halfway through undergrad? I think, I mean, I'm going to say it was 2010 or 2011, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, but she is a, a tremendous poet. Um, I've, I've like, everything that you've sent me to, like, to look at, or, um, like, stuff that I've, I've found of yours floating around, like, being published online, it's just, it's, mm -hmm. it's knockout. And I'm, um, I don't know, it's been, it's been really neat to see like to keep in touch with you over the years and see like how your work has changed and like where it's gone. And that's, that's been, that's been really exciting as a, as a, like a bystander. Um, but would you like to introduce yourself or talk a little bit about yourself and what you're up to now? Um, I am also happy to be doing this. I'm happy to <laughs> see you, Yeah. you know, um, and just kind of see what you're up to, too, on this end, you know. I know that you're publishing now, mm -hmm. so that's got to be super, super interesting, something that I aspire to eventually, so. Really? Of course. Who doesn't want that to be their day job, <laughs> you know? I mean, come on. Yeah. You're like, you're like the big JC. You're building cabinets out of wood and <laughs> publishing... You know the written word. <laughs> yeah, although I feel like it's it's going to be uh, some fairly sizable steps to go from what I'm doing right now with the press to like that that being a a day job. Um, mm -hmm. oh. It's nice that you have the time, though. You know, I would love yeah. to. I would love to. I mean, I I read for um, off the coast right now. Mm -hmm. It's a journal um, stationed in Maine. And um, it's just really interesting to see the poems, you know, that come in and see what people are writing and mm -hmm. how people are writing and what they're addressing and kind of keep up with, you know, what people are saying. Yeah. Interesting, you know. So is it, is that like specific or does it draw in a lot of writers from Maine or is it like a, like a international so. or continental? Um, it is international. Um and it does draw in, I think, a lot of poets from Maine. Um, the reason, one of the reasons why I applied is because I, I, you know, applied as a, as a student, as a college student, to read for them, mm -hmm. and it was one of the first pl places that published me as a young writer. So oh, wow. it was just kind of something that I was keeping up with, and then, um, and then, and then of course they said, okay, yes, you can read for us, <laughs> and. Uh, they, I think one of the better things about this journal is it also publishes young authors. Um, young? People under 18. Oh, okay. So, so, like... so they have a little space where they'll accept young poets. And 
I think it's important, you know, yeah. I think it's a important thing. So, you know, I'll, I'll encourage my students also to submit when we get towards the end of the year and we're writing together. We usually do a couple projects. Um, but it's interesting. It's interesting to see people's ideas and what people are writing and even people that are submitting that are not so good at it and are, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So, so, like, uh, yeah. so are you, you would be like the first or second set of eyes that these poems encounter? Like you're like, like, I hate, I hate using the term screening, but like you're, you're reading the submissions that they come in and then you pass them on to. Yes. I think what happens now is because, um, it's gotten a new, um, editor, a mm-hmm. younger editor, I think that she kind of divvies them up. Okay. And we have to get through a certain amount and we either yes or no, um, or maybe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and then I I don't know what she does after that. I don't know if she goes through them all or she just marks the stuff that people have voted for. Or, okay. Um, I assume it's a. I assume it's a rig. I mean, I hope it's a rigorous process. I hope it's a little more than just she's looking through things people have voted yes for. Yeah. You know? But I don't know. I don't know. So I don't know what. Um. <laughs> when, so not when. Do you feel like your, um, I don't know, like your own writing, or I guess like how, have you noticed like a, a shift of your own writing since working at Off the Coast and just like reading a bunch of, of poems and, you know, like seeing things that work and seeing things that don't work? Have you, have you internalized that at all? Um... No, I don't think, I think really as a poet, um, what has helped me the most is, um, you know, when I was, when I was, when I was in my last year of, uh, school, college, I was taking an upper level, um, writing course with, um, some of the graduate students Mm -hmm. and, um, I made sort of friends with one. I wrote this poem and they were like, well, what, well, who wrote that? You know, cause I was the undergrad and they didn't know me and they probably thought, mm, I don't know whose style this is. And they were kind of interested and I'm like, Oh, I wrote that. Um, and we just kind of became friends and we've, uh, shared poetry mm-hmm. to each other. And I think seeing seeing his poems and how he goes and also when I share mine and seeing what his workshop process is um that's helped tremendously I think the workshop process helps more than anything as a writer I think you're trying to convey a message um and you don't know whether it's received unless somebody gives you feedback right and so I think um I think workshop has helped me more than anything, I think, because as a young writer, I think I was very abstract and very, um, you know, when I first started writing, I kind of thought poetry was a thing to be interpreted. Okay. As opposed and, to, like, what what is your view of that now, if it, if it has shifted from poetry as interpretation? I, 
you know, I, and that's, I think, part of the confusion is that when I was younger, you, I read poetry and, I, and it felt so foreign to me, you mm-hmm. know, especially coming from a small town. And it just seemed like something that had to be figured out or interpreted or something that was out of reach. Mm-hmm. So when I started writing poetry, that's what I did. Um, however, as I grew, I, I realized that that's not exactly what it's doing. You know, um, mm-hmm. you're trying to sort of say something in a different way, but not in a way so um, to where your reader has to pick up all these clues and they're like, right. sort of, yeah. right? And, yeah. And I think I realized that only once I started being workshopped, you know? Okay. Yeah, because so I, 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 as a young writer, I also suffered from a lot of abstraction and sort of like impenetrableness in, in mm-hmm. my poems. Um, which as I think about like growing up, I didn't really like the first, uh, collection of poetry that I read for my own just enjoyment was Mary Oliver's Red Bird when I was in my twenties. Like I was in, I was almost done undergrad before I was like, Oh, I'm just going to read poetry for fun. Um, so most of my like early influence came from, um, Lots of, I guess, like, metalcore and screamo and metal band, like, lyrics from bands. Um, mm-hmm. Most of which were fairly, like, esoteric and kind of impenetrable and just, you know, like, real, like, not tethered to anything. Um, and that definitely showed up a lot in my writing. Uh, and the first, maybe, like, year and a half of grad school that was the most um the most often fielded feedback that i got was that my poems were too abstract and there's nothing concrete nothing to like tether any anything solid to the poem right um but yeah it's like i i don't think that i ever if i had if i did come to that my own self-realization of that it would have taken me years and years longer um, were it not for the workshop and other people be reading and be like, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about right. in this. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Well, I thought that's what I, I, they're like, well, why don't you say that? I thought that's what I said. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, it, it was just a different thing, you know, whenever, if, and I think reading poetry helps too. Oh, you know? yeah. Um, but that's really, I think, the, the the main things that do help is, of course, practice and reading and then um, workshop, you know. What do you see whenever you read this? Yeah. What's unclear to you, you know? Do you... Have you ever workshopped with um, either other writers who weren't poets or people who were non-writers and non-poets? Like, people people who enjoy reading poetry but do not write it. Um, have you have have you ever had any experience like sitting down with them with some work and being like what it, what do you think about this? You know, the only time I would say that that happened was you know as a undergrad whenever you take you know your first creative writing course <laughs> and, and your second there are people in there that are yeah. just kind of there because they think like well I'm going to write a song and this will be an easy credit you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it is, but yes, there were people, I think, that did not take it seriously very, very early um, in the game. And it was obvious, you know, it was pretty obvious. 
Um, now, not so much. Um, I, I'm in a workshop here, and they're um, largely all over 50. So okay. they've been writing for a while. Um, some of them not really interested in publishing, just writing, but they're still a sort of um, wise factor in most of their... Um, most of their, we, we even have a Native American woman and she'll write like um, folk kind of folky folklore stories and it's a very interesting. It's been an enlightening workshop. They meet very, very rarely though. Oh. Um, hmm. They don't get out of the house much. So it's like <laughs> once, once a month workshop, which I, I could, you know, I could do it once a week or, you know. Yeah. But um, worth it, worth it. Yeah. How, like, okay, so that that brings up a question that I don't know if I've if I've asked a whole lot of other poets. But what like during the week, what is your, or I guess do you have like a typical output that that occurs for poetry over the course of a week, or is it like subject to change and whims and? Yeah, you know, I I use it used to be I couldn't write unless I had something to say. Mm-hmm. Um. Now I'm fortunate enough to where if I sit down and have a prompt, I can beat something out, you know, rather more quickly. Mm-hmm. However, it depends. Like if I'm anxious, no, that's not an option, you know, which uh, working and as a teacher and, and the job is so extroverted, you know, no, I don't write so much as a teacher um, and I don't have a schedule. However, during the summer, my goal when I got back was to write one poem a week at least. Um, one solid, great poem, like mm-hmm. finished, complete it. Um, and I think I got seven in four weeks. That's, so that's really impressive. I, I was, I just, I was, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I'm still a writer. I can still do it because <laughs> I did it. It had been like 10 months. I hadn't written at all the first year of teaching. Yeah. Um, I've been lucky enough where my kids were, my kids are a little better this year, and I think I'm a little more used to the schedule, and I've been able to respond to some of the prompts mm-hmm. that the group suggests, which is one a month. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've been writing one poem a month for a few months. Um, other than that, no, I don't really have a process. And I'm a brooder. Usually I have an idea and I write it. And then I live my life. And then something happens kind of just organically where I it reminds me of what I've noted. And mm-hmm. I put the two things together somehow or just start writing. Okay. Um, no specific schedule, though. Yeah. I can say I don't write... Um, with my back to the door. I can't, ever. So, we have, and I wrote a poem about it just recently, (laughs) because what happened is, um, we we have a rather strange um, floor plan here, Mm -hmm. because it's sort of like, it's very old, and it's upstairs, it's on top of a building, and we have two bedrooms, which I'm assuming weren't part of the same apartment at some point. Um, anyway, our, our living room is huge. It's like uh, two rooms almost. 
they have this little, and originally I had my desk in this room here, mm-hmm. but I couldn't, I couldn't write when I moved um, in this room. I don't know why, but the, the living room is pretty open and spacious, and there's this little cranny, um, big enough for a desk, and you have a little bit of space. Mm-hmm except there's a door behind it because we have two doors to our living room to get into oh. our So I'm like, what do we do? You know, I can't, I, I want to write here, but I can't write here. And we don't use this door anyway. So we, we stuffed it with like this plastic wrap. Uh-huh. We, we stuffed the cracks like all the way around. And um, this African mask over the peephole. <laughs> So it's and it and it worked. It worked somehow. I write there all the time. Like it's my space, you know. Um, and of course, it's inoperable. Like nobody comes through it, and right. you know. Uh, so that's an interesting thing. And I, I wrote about that too because I was uh, telling my poet friend from Louisiana when I went down to visit my family during the summer, and he's like, "You should write that." <laughs> I'm like, I should. Like it just seems like something I did. So I tried and. I wrote one this summer about it. <laughs> so how, like, can you can you write other things other than poetry with your back to a door, or can you not write at all with your back to a door? I don't think I can. I don't even, if I go to a restaurant, I don't sit with my back to the door. Huh. Yeah. So I, I think it's more of a, I mean, I, I could still eat if my back were toward the door, but I would be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. However, you know, um, I can't write. I can barely write in the same room as other people, too, usually. Yeah. Um, every time I, you know, in a class, if they asked me to produce something, like, on the spot, it was garbage, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I just, I can't think. There's just too much going on. And I think a lot of, a lot of it is being... Um, introverted just like other even other people's social interactions they just are exhausting to me even though i'm not involved in them you know just yeah just like the ambient people going like dealing with each other's it's it's right i just i concentrate you know which is something i felt i was always good as as a child like i could totally just ignore anybody and focus on my work it didn't matter how long or how loud it was, but it, it's a different kind of work. Um, poetry, you know, I oh, could yeah. do my, you know, I could do my math, or I could do like an expository writing, but poetry is just such a different thing. What? Like I, it all. Yeah, like I like that makes total sense to me because I mean I don't I don't know if everyone experiences poetry like this, but when when I write, it's a it's very much a like. I have to open myself up to listen to myself. And I, my poetic voice I've learned is pretty small and pretty quiet. So it's like, I really, I really have to open up and listen. And when there's a lot of other things around me that are, that's happening, like I'm, I'm now open to all of that stuff too. So it almost necessitates, like for me, it almost necessitates being by myself because like, I, I can't have anything else around me that I could potentially be distracted by or could like mess up whatever like small flame is being built up it's like there's just too much energy and it goes it's just gone right. I'm like well there goes that poem that i'll never yeah. i'll never write again 
<laughs> that's that's how I feel too. Like, and luckily in my, you know, when I got like higher up, and for most poetry classes, they, except for I think my first one, they didn't require us to write in the classroom so much. Um, after you know my first couple of them, so luckily I could just go home and brood and you know write that way um, mm-hmm. for the for the most part. But it's writing on the spot for me is like. You, if I did it, you would. I think whatever I gave the person in return, they would be like, "You're are supposed to be a poet." What is this? <laughs> like, garbage, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I hated. I had to do that a couple times in some of my workshops. Like the like the automatic writing, where it's like you don't like don't stop writing for five minutes. That is so anxiety producing for me. Because um, right. I like when I was in Vermont, there were a couple of poems that I spent like at least a half an hour on one word. Like I, I wrote to that word and then I, I spent half an hour figuring out what word needed to be there and then I got it and then I moved on. Um, right. But yeah, just like just the idea of having to just like that free form, I, I, oh, it makes my skin crawl thinking about. It's, it is difficult. And you know, even stream of consciousness, I can still, I can do it better alone. Like I can come up with something that isn't extremely awful. For example, like um, the poem I wrote for uh, Breakwater Review, that was um, a finalist. That was totally stream of consciousness. Of mm-hmm. course I did it at home. Now I'm not always so lucky, obviously, but I can write something stream of conscious and then sort of play with it and put it in a different order mm-hmm. and then it seems like something that works eventually. Right. Yeah. Um, but if I write something stream of consciousness in public, it's it, it's like I might as well throw it in the garbage. <laughs> like, nothing in there that I can use. <laughs> um, it's awful. When you... Um, throw my phone on my clothes. Uh so I'm I'm in the process of, I mean I think I'm a little, I'm, when I, when I write, I can't revise and when I revise I typically don't write and right now I'm kind of stuck in between shifting from like writing like producing mode into revision mode. Um, mm-hmm. Do you like, do you experience that yourself when you're writing? Like do you? Because for me I feels like there's. Um, like it's there's like a switch that's flipped in my brain that moves me from the creative like generative creative type of writing to the um like revisional creative type of writing and i i'm since i'm i'm in that process right now i was i was wondering if like do you do you feel that shift or can you can you maintain both at the same time um i I'd like to say I feel it because sometimes I think I feel it, but I think really when I'm, if I sit down to revise, sometimes I end up writing um, and vice versa. (laughs) However, um, I will say that I don't, once I've kind of written a poem and I feel like it's not sort of complete, but it's everything's in it, Mm -hmm. like everything's there that I need, I don't touch it again until I get somebody else to look at it. Oh, okay. Um, because I want to know from an outside perspective what is working. I I don't want to take something out, for example, that people 
might like mm -hmm. or think is useful because I'm really bad at determining that, I think. Um, you know, because I brought things into the workshop and they're like, oh, I love this. And I'm like, wow, I almost took that out before <laughs> I got there. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't think that was, you know, I thought it was kind of, I was thinking, is this mediocre? Mm -hmm. You know, um, so usually when I feel like I've written a poem and it's all there, um, I don't really touch it again until somebody else sees it. I mean, that probably wouldn't be the case if I weren't um, participating in a workshop because mm -hmm. I wouldn't have that. Um, right. I wouldn't have. Yeah. In my nearest vicinity, however, I, you know, it's kind of just what I've been doing lately. Um, just to see, you know, is this working? Is this not working? Because as a writer, I realized. And I think stuck with me in the beginning, I did, I never really knew, you know, and I, mm -hmm. um, I always want to see what part affects people the most, you right. know? Yeah. Um, and if, uh, above everything else, like I, I want, um, I want to keep the things that are working and the things that are powerful and, um, not throw those things away, and if they aren't working in that poem, put them somewhere else so right. they are available yeah, yeah. for later. Yeah. So I think I do both of those things. Um, if I'm feeling super, super stressed out, but I still want to look at poetry because I feel guilty, which sometimes <laughs> I find myself doing, like because I'm like I work too much. I should really be writing. Yeah. Um, I will just open something up and like look at it and attempt to revise it. Yes. And that will be the only thing I do. Um, but a lot of times it, with the intention to revise, uh, I end up writing something or mm -hmm. starting something or looking at a prompt or something. Yeah. Something. Hmm. Um, that's probably cause my time is, I feel like it's just so condensed. Um, you know, uh, working now full time as a teacher, like I, I feel really guilty a lot. Like I, I, I feel like I don't write enough all the time, like constantly. It's a constant. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's it. Hmm. <laughs> when are you like, how often are you surprised by what affects someone the most in a poem that you've written? Like, do you feel like you've, you've gotten to the point where you have a pretty good sense? It's like, oh, this line's going to kill. Or is it a, a constant like, oh, you were you were affected by this line. Okay, that's weird. I didn't like this. I was like you said, it's like I was going to cut this, you know, before. Right. I think more often than not, I know now, you know, but there are still those times where I'm like, um, more often than not, I think I know what's going to be effective, mm -hmm. but you know, sometimes it's a little, um, and I guess part of it depends on how much you're attached to the subject of it. You know, is this about me? Is this about my life? Is this something that happened to me specifically? Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote this poem, um, called the secret life of figs recently. And it's about the um, relationship between the wasp and the fig. Mm -hmm. uh, and I put um, Egon Shule in there. And <laughs> I brought it to the workshop. And I, I didn't I didn't think it was terrible. I, di I wasn't attached to it. It wasn't about me. It was something outside of me. Um, which is not really something I do very often. Mm -hmm. However, they were just 
super impressed. They were just like, this is so, this is a very strong poem. I was like, really? You like this, you know? <laughs> and they were just, they just thought it was amazing. Like, they were super, super into it. Um, and so we, I was surprised by that, not because I thought it was bad, but because I didn't feel, I didn't feel a super, super connection with it. It was yeah. just something outside of myself, I guess. Um, and in those instances, I think I am usually surprised. However, I think when I feel like I wrote something good at this point, it usually is well-received, if that makes sense. Yes. Have you have you ever had an experience where you wrote something and you, like, for you it was a killer line, but it didn't affect anybody? Yes, I can remember it, you know, long a long time ago, you know. I can um, remember things like that happening when I first started writing, and, like, often, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I, you know, wh- whatever the reason is why I don't feel like that anymore. Um, no, you know, and usually the things that I bring into workshop, I feel you like it's pretty close to finish. Um, however, like I want somebody else to see it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so no, not I mean, not often anymore. I don't, I don't feel that. It's good. I, I feel like that's, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many, how many signs are out there. It was like maturation of poets, but I feel like that shift to like, I know that this is a killer line. It's going to get, it's going to get people feeling stuff. And then people actually respond feeling stuff. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm that yes. next notch up on the, the poem mm-hmm. totem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's when you write something and even like, Months later, you're still like, I was a genius for this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, <laughs> that's the real winner. Because after a while, your poem's kind of like, oh, well, you know. Yeah. It, it, it's sort of like a um, addictive thing where it never really, you never want to stop getting better or writing something new. Or, you know, after a few months, you're like, yeah, I wrote that. But, yeah. you know. Has there, have you had any lines or any, I don't know, like stanzas or any, word couplings that like even going back and rereading it you're like i i i cannot believe that i wrote something like that like i it feels like almost to the point where it feels like it was like not necessarily you writing it but you know like that that sort of separation between this thing that's like i this is unbelievable i cannot believe that i produced that Mm -hmm. i think so i think there have been times you know, um, especially in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the fact, I I would say rarely. You know, I don't know, but um, ex- in the moment, it's like, wow, where did that even come mm-hmm. from? Like, yeah. how did you know? Um, uh, yes, you know, and even sometimes after the fact, but more likely because I feel like I'm still um, improving. Mm-hmm. You know. More often than not, I'll look back and be like, oh, well, you know, I could have said this. Um, ways to make it better, which is a good thing and a bad thing, right? Because you look at your published work and you're like, why? <laughs> 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 why, why did I publish that? Yeah. You know? It could be different. 
but um, it's nice to feel like, oh, I got better, you yeah. know, too. So, you, speaking of, I guess, like going back at in regarding re-regarding published work, do you like when you write a poem or like do you do you ever arrive at a point where you feel like this poem is done like there's nothing else ever that i will ever be able to do to it like this poem has arrived at where it wants to be or are you like is revision for you a it's like it's a continuous like it will never end there's always some way that you could tweak this poem to get it to be a more effective or more evocative i think so and especially at this point in my life yes i think that my poems that I right now could always be way better. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Like there is, there is, I don't think even now there are some times where I don't know what to do anymore. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, my home is finished because I don't know what to do. <laughs> this is yeah. Um, however, I, I think that there is almost always something that can be done to make a poem better. Almost always. I think even, you know, you look at even a poem by some of the greats and you're like, well, if this word weren't in there, you yeah. know. Oh, I've, um, there's, there's a poem that I've often ragged on in, in various previous episodes of, of So Poetry that like, if, so it's my, it's my belief or my hypothesis that if you drop the last like two or three stanzas of the love song of Drow for Proof Rock, it would be a much better, stronger poem. Um, mm-hmm. and like, it's, you know, it's one of Elliot's like great opus of work, but it's those, right. those last, those last three stands or those two stands. It's like, you don't, you don't need them, man. You could just get rid of them. <laughs> but uh, you know, you wonder what Pounds was doing when that, <laughs> you know, how much work Pound did on these poems. Cause when you read the wasteland, I don't think it's anywhere. I mean, of course there are parts in it that are like wow you know mm-hmm. but it's not i don't think it's anywhere near the love song of jf or proof rock you know that piece of work like i think there's a lot in there there's there's a lot in the wastelands that i think that could not be in there yeah you know oh yeah um, i it definitely strikes me that elliot had uh tended to overwrite instead of <laughs> you know like he would just, which is good for early drafts. It's like it, I feel like it's much better to to cut than it is to have to repopulate something. But right. yeah, I, yeah, I, I definitely, I think because like the wasteland, kind of going back to what we were talking about before about being like abstract and in, impenetrable. The wasteland feels to me close to being impenetrable. Like there's there's so many illusions, there's so much packed into every single one of these lines that if you don't catch every meaning and every like entendre that's in there, you, you will miss the understanding of the poem itself. Whereas with proof rock, it's like, there are a lot of illusions and there's a lot of calls to things outside of the poem. But like, if you read the poem for the most part, you will get kind of what the poem is about. Like there's, there's not these extra layers or levels that you have to excavate meaning out of. Or invent some sort of interpretation of because you're like, I don't, you know, I don't know, like, what obscure apocryphal book that you pulled this shit from, but, you know. Right. And some of it may be the language, you know, just the difference of time period and um, use of language, you Mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Because we know, 
Um, but it's funny you m- mentioned Proofrock because this one of my the first poems that I read where I'm like, I love poetry. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. just so great to me. It just really stuck to me. Um, I even did a little drawing of him a while back. <laughs> I have him against um, a wall with suspenders on, and he has his arm over his chest, and he has a big peach for a head. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks pretty surrealistic, I guess. But um, I don't know. That's just how I see him in that poem. Uh, but I, I, this was one of the first poems, I think, that I really, really attached to. And I think part of it is because we had to write about it in one of my early, early, like, I guess it was English Comp 101 classes. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to pick out something that um, stood out to us or write about something, make a make an argument about the poem, however mm-hmm. uh, we wanted. And I turned him into a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my teacher's like, you know, you supported it very well. <laughs> Um, I don't think that's the case. So I went ahead and I, I was going to have you, instead of calling him straight out of vampire, say that he was vampire-like and give you the A. However, I'm just going to give you the A with this quotation, right? And I'm like, oh, thank you. She's like, it was, I enjoyed reading it. It was very good, you know, but, and of course, I was, you know, a horror movie X-File fan then, so that would make sense that I would... But it's one of the first poems I really attached to, I think, is when I read, um, it's universal, you know, it just seems universal. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, this this is a nice little segue into my next question. Um, have there been major shifts of your writing that you have noticed? And if so, were they precipitated or precipitated by, like, encountering a poet or a poem or a style, um, you know. You know, um, I don't know. I mean, I've always been rather confessional, I think, in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as style, um, I don't know. I mean, I think before I knew what poetry was, I would have stanzas, I would... um, you know, I was practicing doing certain things, um, and I think that that's where the big transition came. You know, the biggest one is whenever I started studying it, I guess. But I don't, not that I can, I mean, I can tell that I got better. Mm-hmm. Like, I can look at stuff I'm writing now and be like, okay, this is much, much better. Um, I can't really say what it was that sparked you know, other than, you know, I read a, I read a lot of, um, Kim Adonisio, you know, um, I read, I've read a lot of, um, Adelie Limon. have you heard of her? I don't think yet? so. Um, Wait, what, Limon. what's her name? Adelie Limon. um, A-D-A. Oh, L- Yes, I. So I think that I've heard of her. I don't know if I've read any of her stuff, though. It's pretty um, good. I like it. Um, Sharon Olds, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so I guess this this is kind of bleeds into my next question. Like, if you um, like who who are the the top or who are the poets that occupy the top spaces in your like poetry pantheon? Like, if you if you had a hierarchy of of your poets mm-hmm. that you that you've loved or that the most influential for you, who would be at the top? Like, the Zeus, Hera, Hades, mm-hmm. Poseidon level. I mean, I have to go with Plath, you know. Um, 100%. Like, I don't think that I've read, um, you know, besides Dickinson, Dickinson, who does, like, I think completely different things with words. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I've seen a better woman poet, you know? Um, I, I even have had a teacher once I called her the, really the last of the greats, you know, the greats. Shoot, that was the end of it. Um, she is just really, really poignant and great, you know, and of course, Emily Dickinson, I love, Mm -hmm. and, um, Adonisio, I have a whole, whole bunch of that, um, and, uh, I'm going to try and throw some... Uh, male poets in here too. You don't have to. You don't have to if you don't want to. Uh, Jack Gilbert. Okay. I like a lot. Um, and I can't recall his name now, but I think I suggested you to you once before his name and his. Um, I, I I've got two collections by him, and uh, the first one I bought was Crush, and. That was a very, very great work. Um, and, of course, Lee Young Lee, right? Oh, I like yeah. a lot. Um, as far as male poets go. Um, and, you know, of course, Sharon Olds and mm-hmm. uh, Marge Piercy sometimes. Um, anything... Uh, El- Ellen Bass, I've been really into lately. Uh, just her style of writing. But I find myself um, going back to... I, I get the American Poetry Review, um, this new po- poet, Franny Choi. Have you heard of her? No, I don't think so. Um, I And I don't have a collection, but every time I see her in... Um, a journal that I come across, mm-hmm. she has a good, very, very good poem in there. Um, you know, I, I and I really do like modern, uh, contemporary poetry. I like, I like what it's turning into, um, as well as you know, Plath, which is, <laughs> I guess, not so contemporary, but kind of. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's modern, so. But what, what, I don't know, what are you reading? Um, well, currently I'm slogging through uh, 1Q8 Far by uh, Haruki Murakami, which has nothing to do with poetry. Um, it is just a big-ass fucking, like, brick of a novel. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, I don't know, like, it's... I go through, oddly enough, periods where I don't feel like reading. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel weird and bad about that but i i tried to acknowledge that's like well 
I, I just don't want to pick up a book right now. Um, but I do, so I have a couple of um, manuscripts that have come my way with the press that I am, um, once I get off of work tomorrow, I'm going to sit down and read through like two or three of them. Um, one of them for an upcoming book. Uh, one was an unsolicited manuscript. Um, and one was just something that a, a friend of mine sent to me um, that I have not yet put my eyes on. Um, but like I, um, the last, I think the last collection that I read was, oh, who, who was I reading? It was some collection by Mary Oliver. I don't remember which one. I have, I, I have like eight of them. And I, I, um, it was one that had both, uh, poems and essays in it. Most of them are about flowers, I think. Um, mm -hmm. but she's like, she's never that far away from the things that I'm reading. Um, Charles Wright has started becoming a pretty standard, um, or like a pretty steady appearance and like, just, if I don't know what to read, I'll grab one of his collections. Um. I don't know. I feel like I've I've been kind of out of the poetry game for a while because I don't I don't really read. Um, since I'm, I mean, I wouldn't. I would probably read them even if I weren't submitting, but I'm not really submitting anywhere, so I'm not, you know, like doing my research on which journals I would want to submit to. Um, so I'm generally not like catching any any super contemporary stuff. Um, unless one of my poet friends like throw something my way is just like a, Hey, you have to check out this, this collection of poetry. Um, although, oh, where is it? Um, Ooh, I also have a Louise Gluck, uh, book in my, Oh, that's another one. I do like Louise Gluck a whole lot. Um, Holly likes her too a whole lot. Um, I think probably Holly's one of Holly's absolute favorites, if not favorite. So I have um, so in my bag I have the Wild Iris by Louise Gluck, <laughs> and then the uh, Mary Oliver collection is Blue Iris, which I did on purpose because I was like, oh, those might be a nice pair. Um, right. And then I was in um, Frostburg, Maryland, which is in the kind of western chunk, like when where Maryland gets real, real, real thin between sandwiched between uh, Pennsylvania and West Virginia. Um, mm -hmm. I was out there for a uh, indie lit festival where I, I exhibited and I was on like a podcasting panel, um, and there was a book that I was sitting across from the press that was that had published this, and like all day I was just staring at this book and it, it kept catching my eye, and it is Glass Harvest by Amy Whitmore, which mm -hmm. you will be able to see. I can see it. Um, <laughs> and I was like, it was the green. It was the weird sort of like lemony green on it. I was like, this is a very weird color choice mm -hmm. for a book, and I have to know what it's about. Um, and I have just barely thumbed through it, but um, from the stuff that I've read so far, it was it's pretty damn good. Um, but... Yeah, so I'm, but I'm, I'm generally out of, I feel like I've been out of, like, the contemporary poetry game for a little while, and I really don't know, um, although, I did just get, um, the Hummingbird Literary Journal, which is a journal that's about, like, this big, mm -hmm. um, and they publish exclusively small poems, mm -hmm. um, 
So I'm excited to dig into that. Um, but I like whole poems. Um, more tangible, you know. Yes. I like small poems. Do you do you feel like one either a short or a long poem is more difficult to write than the other one, or? Um... I think long, I, long poems are harder for me. I'm very very short winded, um, and uh, I think whenever I started this writing group here, um, my initial instinct is always to cut things out of other <laughs> yeah. like need this I don't need this I don't need this until it's just like a small little square of words mm-hmm. and um you know I just I don't need a lot as a reader you know um I like mystery and I think small poems are much much easier um my newest recent prompt which um our last poetry meeting um was last this weekend that just passed and mm-hmm. Um, the woman that the woman that I'm friends with that host or invited me to this thing, um, she writes very long poems. Sometimes they're like nine to ten page poems. Oh my god, no! That's too, yes. no, it's too long of a <laughs> so poem. So I'm just like, maybe this goes out. Maybe you know, I'm always cutting these things, and um, <laughs> she's like, you're you're so inspiring. I am. I wish I could write a poem short and powerful like this, but it's just, she's just very, I mean, think like Virginia Woolf, how she just like, yeah, just keeps you know, going. <laughs> yes. So it's just like, just these nine page poems. And I'm just like, wow, like I can't, it's really hard for me to stay interested in a poem for nine pages, yeah. you know, it's because poems are work, mm-hmm. you know, they're work to read. Um, and I, I, I think it, well, in any way, so her prompt is we have to pick four categories out of like, um, I don't know, I guess she gave us maybe 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. And so they have to be unrelated and separate, but we have to somehow fit them all together. Like it has to be okay. uh, art, uh, you know, the social sciences, the sciences, mythology, personal life. Um, trivia, something that we overheard, like she gave us all these categories to somehow just jot little ideas about and somehow mold them together, mm-hmm. which I imagine will be a very long poem, <laughs> um, especially for her. Yeah. And I'm just, it sounds just so overwhelming to me, you know, um, it seems easier to, um, point out a truth in something small, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But once you get um, all this stuff tied together, to me, that's um, it's a difficult task to do it uh, well, you know, yeah. to me. Um, so I've I've got a couple of ideas for the categories, but I haven't even started on it, and I don't know if I'll have it within the month. But um, it just seems like she wants us to write a long poem, you know, <laughs> like. Well, you have four categories. You got to mix them all together. Which, I mean, mythology in itself is complicated. You yes. Know, could... So we'll see. Um, but yes, yeah, she has a, these nine, and the, her poems have gotten shorter um, this week. <laughs> but, 
She bought in two poems and they were about a page each. And I was like, so what did you do different here? Because, you know, these are really good. I think you did a good job. And, what, what, you know, what happened for you to write such a small poem as opposed to, I mean, normally it seems like she can't stop herself. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just like, and wings are interesting because this and this and these types of wings. And then she goes into the dictionary and then there's thousands of things in her poem. And, um, she reads a lot, of course, mm-hmm. and they're all very, very interesting things, but I'm like, I don't need to know all of those things in one poem, right. you know, yeah. in my mind, um, but she's getting, they're getting smaller, which I'm proud of, <laughs> and easier to read, of course, um, yeah. but my poems are always, my, I don't, maybe I wrote one poem that was over a page, and it's because it had spaces you know um yeah i wrote a couple maybe a handful where they were just the whole page you Mm -hmm. know just about but my stanzas are relatively short yeah Um, my my lines the only time like the only two times recently that i've written a poem that was longer than a page it was because uh each line had at the most like four three or four words and some lines had like one so it was like it hugged the left hand side of the page and was only like you know less than less than like half an inch wide and was just um yeah but that's it's it's interesting i have a similar um a similar reaction when i read uh i'm I'm in a writing group too um and it's so it there is or there are Three poets? No. Yes, no. Two two poets, two nonfiction writers, and one of the nonfiction writers is a poet as well. So so we'll get like poetry submissions and then like essay creative nonfiction submissions. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I found myself doing, uh, pretty within the last maybe like three or four meetings that we had was being pretty ruthless when it comes to like like extra information or that like if you if there's a line and you give me some information and then like two lines later you give me essentially the same information Mm -hmm. like you don't like you don't need it get rid of it like it's not doing any work um but i've like i've noticed that i've i've been um and like i don't i don't know if it's just if it's an influence of like the haiku that i've been reading or what that just like you know you, you just you get to the point, give me the image, give me everything that you need to give me in that image, and then, like, move on to the next thing. Right. Um, but, yeah. I have to um, always remind myself that not everybody is at the meeting for the same reason. Like, I'm there because I want to um, basically know what is affecting my audience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some people are there because they want to read the great poem that they just wrote, you know, that they don't want to change. Yeah. Um, So I have to remind myself of that too, because I will just circle large globs of text sometimes and be like, I don't need this, you know, I don't hate it, but I don't need it, you know? Um, And that's something that I I think the writing group wasn't doing before I got there. They, from what I understand, they were just reading their poems to each other. Oh, and like not critiquing, like not workshopping them at all? 
Right. Oh. And which I know my first meeting. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, you know, and I'm like, and then it gradually turned into something that the thing that it is now, yeah. you know, at first they were just like, well, this is done. Thank you for your time. <laughs> you know? And I've never even experienced a writing group like that. So the first time I went, I didn't even ask. I was just like, well, what if you move this here? <laughs> questions. And and they're all very pleased. They're very pleased to see me every time I go now. I think that they think I changed it for the better. However, Good. probably not something I would have done if uh, if I had known that that's not what they were doing before. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but I am glad because I don't think I would have returned if it were just me reading my poem and then listening to other people's poems and then... Um, I don't think I would have, you know, gone back every month. It's just right, not as beneficial to me, you yeah. know. Yeah. So, uh, I think I I think I did do something for the better here, hopefully, and I and I think that they, might, I mean, it's about growth, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've I've wondered this. Um, I've encountered this a couple of times and it, it kind of relates to the like really long things or like reading a poem that's really long and being like, oh, you could you can get rid of this whole middle section. Um, like the idea of is like if it's in a poem, if there's something that's obviously that's like it's the, the, the writer themselves working through something and then they arrive at a moment. Um, like I've encountered poems that you don't need any of that, like that, that work, the sort of like encountered work that you getting through the poem to that moment. So you can just have that moment and it works. Mm -hmm. And I've read other poems where like you kind of need like the, the payoff or the, the, the poetic moment that, that you arrive at only really works if you kind of slog through what comes before it. It's like you see how things are being developed and then you, you, you can get there, you know, with the, the poet. Um, but I've encountered other poems that like, I don't know. And that's, I've struggled with that issue of like, like, do you need all of this stuff mm -hmm. until before this moment? Or can you just have this moment that exists? Um, and I feel like, I've definitely recognized, and I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm trending away from this, but I definitely recognized when I was like earlier in my, in my, in my poetry, um, there was a, like a fear or a, um, like, I, I didn't think that the moment could just exist by itself. I was, I was concerned. I was afraid. Or I was, I just didn't think that it was strong enough. So I, I would write all of this, like, foundation and the structure to kind of lift up this moment to a place where I thought it could be instead of just trusting that it could just like I could just drop you into this this thing and it would work um but I've like I've I've often thought about that because there, there was one poem in particular in one of like the best American poets like poems from I don't know like three or four years ago that the first chunk of it is this real sort of like analog almost like uh computer language written like programming language and then it arrives at this moment where this person is laying on their back in a boat on a river in the forest and i'm like i i don't know 
because the ending was so so strong. It's like I don't really know if you need all the rest of this to get mm-hmm. there. But I don't know if I would have thought that the ending was so strong had I not traveled through like the roughage to get to that that point. Um, I mean, maybe that's personal. You know, maybe that's yeah. a personal. Um, I I always and this has been something in my first creative writing class ever, and this is when um, I was still taking classes with people that didn't really contribute. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, my teacher said something that stuck with me and um, it wasn't just poetry but it was we, you know we wrote fiction stories and she says you to enter the story at the last possible moment you know enter you know especially when you're writing flash fiction I think and you know maybe even poetry for me anyway and it's something that I really think about when I'm writing is to enter like enter the story at the last point that you think it's under it won't be understandable anymore if you enter anywhere after this okay like just i i think of it i think if i'm being being visualized like a game of double dutch right it's already going and you just kind of jump in and um i think that's where i try and start most of my poems and i think the ones that work the best start that way you know yeah um, and I find myself when I'm critiquing doing that even to other people's problems, you know, um, pulling something from the middle and saying, you know, maybe you should start here. What would your poem look like if okay. you entered here? Because yeah. I'm with you. Like when I get here at this line, I'm with you. Right. But what if you're a first line, I'm with you immediately. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the first times um, I really, really experienced experienced it from another writer is uh have you ever read oranges and sweet sister boy no i don't think so it's um it is a um creative nonfiction piece by judy ruiz and it's amazing it's just beautiful and she starts it um she says um and don't quote me, but she's she gets a call from her brother, mm-hmm. who is now her sister. Okay. And she says, you know, every once in a while something fries a little, and she's actually in um, a institution mm-hmm. um, at this point, and uh, she she says, uh, y- you know. Um, Sometimes things aren't really what they seem, and, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, especially for her, I'm considering, because as a um, narrator, she's largely unreliable, but she says, and this is one of the third or fourth sentences in the story, I think, she says, she, um, she lights a cigarette, and she waits for it to turn into a trombone, or, um something else and it doesn't it stays uh she puts a cigarette in her mouth and she waits for it to turn into a trombone or something or a snake or something and it Uh doesn't so she lights it right (laughs) and it's she's just large i mean she's unreliable and the story is so weird but she says that i'm like okay i'm with you you know like yes now i understand i know who you are and it just seems like it's start there's no like well, my brother is this, and it's just like, 
my brother calls me and he tells me he's my sister now, you know, like right there. Like the, that's a plot of the story. It's in the first line. Like, yes, you know, um, and I, I'm just drawn to pieces like that. I think and yeah. I, I enjoy fiction and poetry more than I, you know, um, and I think enjoy many, many, many novels. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's like, it's, I really enjoy, or I appreciate things that I can get, like, I can devour in, like, a sitting. Like, I can sit down and take, like, two and a half hours or two hours to read through something, and it's it's in its entirety, and it will sit with me as that thing, instead of, like, fucking 1Q84, which is taking me the better part of, like, a month to read, and it's, like... I, I've gotten to the point in in reading it that stuff that's happened in the beginning of the novel, I remember like I remember my childhood. It's like just kind of the bright flashes. And I know that a lot of other shit happened, but I'm like, I don't, I know the, like the one or two main things that have happened since I started reading this thing. And that's like, that's about it. Um, which I don't know. I mean, there's something to be said, I think, in the novel, but they just, sometimes it just seems like that. I mean, in a novel, you have things that are there, I think, slow, solely for plot, yes. right? Mm-hmm. For transition, for. Um, because you have to have them, yes. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that flash fiction has to have that and i don't think that poetry does and i think it makes it i don't think they should no yeah it's like i so like in with the whole like cutting stuff i've um it's like and this is a a direct outgrowth um or direct influence of the haiku that i've read it's like if if that word or this line doesn't need to be in this poem like if it's not doing any of the work that the rest of these lines are doing get rid of it you know, it's like your your poem is going to be uh, a a paler version of itself if you keep this line in, and if you get rid of it, you know, it's like if you have if every line, especially especially with like short things, like if every line is not on fire and is not popping, you know, it's like you have such a limited amount of space to to convey the emotion or the tone or the experience or the message, and like every single one of those plate those lines and those words are vital um and it's like if they're not if they're not all on fire get rid of the ones that aren't that aren't doing anything i i have a similar um experience when i read you know i'm it's hard for me to not feel like something's mediocre if it doesn't do that you know yeah um, which is, I mean, is pretty arrogant to say, you know, um, but it, it's just, it's not, I mean, and there's great, I mean, like, um, Fitzgerald, he's an amazing writer. I don't, you know, know, I can't even imagine, you know, he's one of the most beautiful writers, but a novel is just, it's not what poetry is for me, yeah. you know, it's not the same. So I, like, my my kind of demarker is that when I'm reading a novel, I've definitely caught myself, like, skimming certain paragraphs where it's like, you know, I'll read kind of every, every other word or so. And while it doesn't, 
Like, it may... No, actually, it's like, I will, I'll say it. I don't feel like skimming it detracts any from, like, the point or the story or the plot or whatever of the novel. You know, it's like there, there are moments where you're, like, you can kind of, you just, you daydream out. Um, and I think that novels as novels are kind of built to be able to withstand that. Because, like, sometimes, like, sometimes you just got to get through exposition. And that's just, you have to. And it sucks. And you will, you know, like... It's going to be dry and it's it's going to be tedious, but you got to do it. Whereas I think with with poetry, um, like if I ever catch myself drifting from a poem, that for me is a moment. It's like something needs to happen here, um, right. or it's like there's there's something that's like I'm just I'm I'm just leaving the poem, um, and so like. Obviously, it, it's not always the poem's fault. Like sometimes for me, it's like I'm just super distracted, or you know, it's like I'm just I'm not, I'm not in the mindset that I need to be to to appreciate this poem on the level that it needs to be appreciated. Um, right. But there are other times it's like I am real fucking engaged, and I ca- <laughs> I catch myself like you know, look like I can catch my eye kind of drifting off to the right. And I'm like, oh, okay, something's happening here in this stanza that like you know. It's not like, all right, like there'll be a stanza, like I'll, I'll be here, I'll be with this stanza and the next stanza I'm gone and then the stanza after that I'm back. And there's something that happened, you know, like within that one particular stanza that's just not doing the work or pulling the weight that the, the two on either side of it are. Right. And especially for you, I mean, that's the thing about poetry too, because who, like, so we're leaving little things for people to connect to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But it's, Sometimes we're not all connecting to the same. We're not hanging on the same things. You know? Right. Yeah. And that's the, I guess, work of it, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I, the, the reason for workshop, I guess. You yes. Know? You oh, know? yeah. And that's, that is, I think has been one of the most, I think one of the most beneficial things about being like an editor of like, and seeing a lot of other people's writing and, you know, like editing manuscripts and and doing that for however long I've been doing that. Um, I think one of the the greatest benefits for me is the cultivation of, am I not engaged with this because this line needs, or this, like this needs some work or because it's not my personal taste and it's just not things that I'm attracted to. Um, which I think is a real, like that's a really really difficult line of demarcation to to have to figure it out of like, okay, like am I do I not like this because it's just not things that I like or do I not like this because this this you know it's not it's not there yet, um, and like I don't have a perfect record with that, but I I definitely feel like I'm getting better hopefully mm-hmm. with it mm-hmm. um that was good. that was my question for you what has changed since uh, you know you've been working on the publishing side um you know just for your writing what have you noticed and uh, I, if it helped you like as as far as like subject matter or style um, or I guess like tone, maybe, I don't feel like that much has changed, but I feel like my, um, 
I feel like the the poems that I'm writing, like the the first draft that I produce, is a lot closer to the finished draft um, than they have. Like every every like big project or every like big group of poems that I write, I feel like I'm getting. I mean, not not to say this is a goal to like write a poem and just have it be the way that it needs to be, but I feel like it. I, there's a lot less work usually that it takes me to get from like a rough draft to a, a completed thing. Um, and that, like, I think that's just, it's one experience just, you know, like having written a lot more, um, you know, like every year you gain a year of, have, of writing. But I do think that it's like two, it's, it's definitely influenced by just like reading, reading other people's writing and getting it, as close as I, I need to get to it to be able to offer um, like insightful and apt edits and comments and critiques of it. Um, so like that process of like approaching something and getting close to it and figuring out like, you know, like I, I understand and I know what you're trying to say and here are some things that might help you get to that point or like just this to, to arriving at the point where it's like I can see what you're trying to do. And, you know, sometimes I will have concrete, like, you're trying to do this, I think, you try this, like, I think that this will get you there. And other times it's like, I think that you're trying to do this. I'm not really sure how you get there. But like, it's not quite working yet. Like, you need you need to do something here, but I don't know what. Um, But yeah, and then like I said, like the ability to to discern like the like the appreciation of like this is a really damn good poem. It's not at all in my wheelhouse, but like I can appreciate this as really solid poetry versus like yeah, you need this needs some work. Like that that level of like I guess acknowledgement or the the um the seeing of like the the brightness or the you know whatever in a poem. It's like, "Oh damn, that's that's great." I would probably never read that again, but that's a damn fine poem versus like, yeah, you, like you maybe need to tweak a little bit of this before you can get it to like, you know, the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I think, so I, I tend to work in spurts of like grouped poems, um, Sometimes it'll be like three or four, you know, like on the small end and sometimes like for Vermont, you know, like I came out of that month with 31 poems. Um, so having worked on uh, other manuscripts, like poetry manuscripts and helped with like the organization and the um, the placement and the pacing of all that, I think that that's helped or I've, I've gotten better at that with my own stuff too, to figure out like, okay, well, where are the, what's, what's happening here? Or it's, it's easier for me to get to the point of like, I understand the arc of this manuscript and I can figure out what needs to go where to get that arc versus when I was doing it for the first time. That, that took me of everything for my first book, like my thesis, organizing, organizing it took, um, the, I think the absolute longest of like even beyond the revisions was just figuring out where those things need. I agonized over that for like two and a half weeks. Um, mm-hmm. You mean their place and like, let's say this poem after this poem. Yep. Yeah. Cause I like, I knew 
I knew where it needed to end. Like that was when I when I got those two poems in the collection, or like I knew when I knew that those two poems were going to be in the collection. I was like, okay, these are the last two. Um, and then it took me a while to figure out like where it's like, because it I had a bunch of um, like really isolated and really kind of depressive and um, like cold poems, and then I had a bunch of poems that. Like, in sad. Like, they were all sad. Um, right. And then I had well, a... I... Hmm? <laughs> I say I like sad. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think... <laughs> so I'm, I'm... I've made a conscious decision that I... My goal as a poet is to make people feel very small sadnesses. But that's... <laughs> that's besides the point. Um, so I, I had those collections of, like, real sad, real isolated, just, you know, like... Um, if, you, if you can imagine an empty room in the middle of winter like that's what those poems felt like and then i had another group of poems that felt um similarly colored as sad but more peaceful and a little more connected to stuff and i was like i don't know how to get i mean it took me a while one to realize that i had those two different types of poems and i was like i don't know how the hell to shift from one to the other and then i i as i was placing it it's like i had the the two the two final poems, uh, Nomenclature and two of the old, two of the old masters, uh, move the earth. Um, and those are like kind of quiet, kind of peaceful, contemplative, connected poems. Um, and I, there was like, there was one day I was in the law school and I had them all laid out on this big fucking table and I had the two final poems on the right-hand side and I had just a big pile on the left-hand side. And I just started laying them out and I kept rearranging them and moving them around. And I finally realized that the poem that I wanted to go first needed to be like after the middle because it was a like open, like it's one of the ones that began to feel more open. And then I was like, oh, shit, that's the thing. That's how they move. So I, I, once I realized that, I took all of the, like, the real sad poems and shoved them in the beginning and then moved them around so I didn't have, like, three moon poems and then two empty room poems and another three moon poems. So I kind of spread those around. Um, and then there was one that... Um, it, it started out feeling open and then it initially it started out feeling open and then ended feeling sad but the placement of it in the the manuscript it had to go in the middle and i was like oh, i don't know how to make this work and i was like oh haha i'll just make it backwards so i like flipped the first and the last stanza so it starts out really really sad and then it moves into a place of openness it's like that's like that's it that's the linchpin and then that like once i figured that out everything was just a matter of like like oh this poem needs to go like, these two poems don't work next to each other, but they're in the same group, so I can just, you know, shuffle them around. Um, but all of that to say that it's, it feels easier now. Uh, and I've, I feel like I've had the experience, it's like, I kind of know what I'm looking for now when I see a manuscript and I can I can see the sort of, like, the ebbs and the flows and the, the overarching, like, this is the way that it kind of wants to move. How how can you put these things together to make it want to move like that way, or even like even begin to think about asking the poet like, what are you trying to do overall with the manuscript? You know, because it's like you have 
initially you have a bunch of poems and then you have a bunch of poems that are working together and in conversation with each other and then you have the manuscript and at each level there's diff kind of different considerations or different things you have to think about and when you finally get to the manuscript thing it's like all of these are essentially it's like all of these poems are essentially different parts of the same body like they're all acting as a unit mm -hmm. and it's kind of up to like what what are you ultimately trying to say with this body like how are you going to position it and like what feeling do you want to evoke like even if even if the individual poems have a bunch of different colors like what is the ultimate thing that you want this all to be shaded by or like saturated by um so now i know to think about that now i know to look at that and to begin to you know like in the early stages of editing start making um notes about like okay well these are the kind of like the broad broad strokes that i'm i'm picking up and i'm feeling and that helps with like uh like cover images and colors and you know like even sort of the um the layout because if it's like if it's real dense like claustrophobic poems you want to have a layout that will kind of like ease the reader into like like to add that extra element of like oh okay this is you know these things are supposed to be these real jam-packed intense things versus poems that are like they want a lot of space and they want you to sit there and think about them for a while before you move on to the move on to the next one that makes sense that was i feel like <laughs> very long-winded um I, I feel like that might that would probably and mostly because i don't have any really experience with it and i haven't really thought about it, but be a very difficult task to me. Like, where do my poems go in a book? You know, yeah. like, it just seems like an impossible task, you know? Like, I, I would definitely need um, counsel, you know? Like, what, does, what should the, I would have to do some reading. Like, what, what does a chapbook do like what does it look like what do what's the intention here right yeah it's not something that i've thought about uh, i have thought about chat books obviously and getting my a book mm -hmm. but not anywhere near like oh well i this goes first this yeah. goes second third well i if you if you would like to talk about this outside of podcasting i would be more than happy to like to to offer any any of the like the knowledge experience that I, I built up. I think up. so. I think, I think eventually, because I, I think I probably do have enough for a chapbook at this oh, yeah. point. You probably I, have close to like a, a full-length manuscript if you've been as... I don't know. I mean, like, um, I, I maybe I have 40 poems. Okay. Like, I feel like I haven't been writing that long and I feel like I didn't really really super get into it until my last couple of years you know creative mm -hmm. writing um and now more than anything it's, it's the thing that makes the most sense. it's after I do it I think more than anything I feel the most accomplished after I write a poem you know other yeah. than I mean anything you know yeah uh, yeah but I I would be I would be more than happy to to, to talk shop with that for you but i will say um weirdly enough reading uh poetry collections backwards helps me see like what's at work in the the organization the 
like the how the poems are placed and like what what that placement is doing. Um, huh. I I can see that how it works. I'm not really like. So I so I I will ask I'll pose you this question, but I I will say how I do it first. Usually when I'm when I encounter a, a poetry collection, I will read it uh, front to back, then back to front, and then from every subsequent reading, we'll probably just henpeck through it. Um, Mm-hmm. And I like I read it from front to back first, just to get a sense of the poems. And I read it, then I read it backwards to try to figure out, like, okay, well, it's just, for whatever reason, it's easier for me to see like the threads and the connective tissues through mm-hmm. it. Um, but yeah, so I would I would suggest that for you if you, if you're beginning to think about like how to place poems in a in a mm-hmm. manuscript. But I would I am curious when you when you have a, a new fresh collection of poetry how do you dig into it like do you do you have a particular way that you do it or does each like each different poet or each different collection invite a different reading like a way to read it for you um so you you're talking about the poetry i read like outside of myself yes and what was the question again like do you like if you if you had a um like if you picked up, let's say Louise Gluck comes out with a new new mm-hmm. full length collection, and you you grab it or you you have it, How, is there a particular way that you will read poetry collections on like the first time that you read it? Is there a, anything that you particularly do, or does it change yeah. given given the collection that you have? I think particularly I read like three to four poems, mm-hmm. like the first four, and then. I begin to um, look at the titles okay. of each poem, um, and based on, I guess, what I've read so far, determine whether or not I want to read that poem right now, um, you know, ba- based on the poet's voice or whatever. Oh, mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a title that's interesting for this poet, and I'll go through it reading the poems with the titles that stick out to me first. Huh. Um, and then once I've reached the end, I'll go back and read at some later time, usually uh, all the ones that you the, didn't right, read the stuff, read it in full, even the ones that I've read already. Um, huh. but usually I read the, the first couple, like maybe three, four, mm-hmm. and then I, I say, Oh, title, this is interesting. This is <laughs> once I have the poet's voice, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and that's just how I've been reading lately. I think, I think really the reason for that is because when I'm reading poetry lately, um, at school I, I teach ELA and I teach a reading class, which mm-hmm. is kind of for our struggling readers. On Fridays they get to free read, which is they bring a book and they kind of lay down on the floor and read their book. You know, they relax, um, they can do anything except smoke a cigarette, you know. Uh, so when they're reading, I pull out my book, obviously, um, because I want to read and I never get to. And also because I think that it, it shows them that, um, adults read too, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I don't, based on where we are, that we don't have a whole lot of, um, the literacy level here is very low. Um, which would suggest their parents are not reading, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just like to, well, I'm not making you read. I'm reading too. It's for enjoyment, right? right. We yeah, all, yeah, yeah. 
so I'll read there and you know usually um I'm mildly distracted because I have other people to um worry about right so I, I read a couple and then I kind of flip through and look for the titles and then read the ones that are um that stick out and I think will be interesting and then go back once I've got a got a better feel for the whole chat book as a whole. Um, and that's just what I've been doing lately. Uh, and what book do I have in my, in my book, in my bookcase that I've been reading? It is, I've gotten one, from my poet friend Sandra, and I forget her name, but the title of the book is called Fresco or something. It's a beautiful, beautiful cover. And then I have um, a Sharon Olds that I bought, a White Stag, I think. Yes, yep, I have I have that on my bookshelf too. Um, and that one I was reading first, but it's very, very sexual, and I so I kind of started reading my other one because I'm, um, at school and, <laughs> you know, they're like in middle school, they laugh every time anything happens. So I kind of stashed that one away for now and started reading the, um, the older, the older one. Um, but I just recently, my, um, Holly's been trying to convince me to read a book called The Liar's Club. Have you heard of this? I have not. Um, and I read four pages, <laughs> and it, it it's it's good, it's fine. Um, but I, I I think I read about eight minutes of it, which is, was a total of four pages. And um, I think I'm gonna read it. It seems interesting. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I try. I try. I most recently, in full, I read The Snake Bit by Mary Jane Ward. Which is apparently where um, Plath got her inspiration from to write R, oh. which is something I didn't know. I found out when, and I'm surprised I didn't know, but I was going to write a poem about meeting somebody, like the author, on in like the novel that they wrote, like on in an instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of looking up some things about Plath and... Um, I, I stumbled upon the fact that she was very heavily influenced by this book called The Snake Pit, written by Mary Jane Ward. Um, and it's also semi-autobiographical. And it's about a woman spending her time in an um, institution, much like wow. the Bell Job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it's kind of the same sense of humor that Plath has in the bell jar like I can just remember um there's this part in the bell jar where um Esther the character she's very naive she's smart but she never wants anybody to know it seems that she doesn't know things so she's sitting in with her um Miss uh Philomena Guinea who gave her a scholarship to attend the school that she's sending to attending this is how she got there Mm -hmm. and she went to meet her and uh, of course Philomena is rich and they're eating dinner and she has these finger bowls on the table and um, Esther doesn't know what they are so she drinks them (laughs) thinking that they're soup Um, 
and it's just kind of off stuff like that that happens throughout the book, and it's actually pretty funny. Um, <laughs> and the book, there, the book is interesting, and it, I can tell that she definitely, definitely, it affected her. Like her writing style is very similar to this book. Um, and I read it in full, and probably most of it was because I, I was intrigued. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but interesting. And something I didn't know, the snake pit, right? Um, yeah. And it's something that they referred to mentally ill patients this way because they thought that putting them in a snake pit um, if and, and having them be attacked would, whatever crazy they were going through would be finished because this experience was so much more horrific or something like that. So it's an actual, like, idea that people had. Um, so it's called the snake pit. That's asinine. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't understand. So I've... Well, and this is back in, like, electrotherapy. And, yeah. I mean, she describes in detail these things that are happening to her, right, where she is just um, shocked and she, losing her memory and not – you know, every day not knowing where she is and having this loose translation about what's going on. Like, she seemed to think the closer you got to the ground floor, the easier, it, like, you were closer to get out of, like, those were where the good people were. Mm-hmm. And the the better she thought she was, the crazier she was. So it was just very, very weird um, read. And sometimes hard to read because you didn't actually know what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, because she didn't. Right. You know? Yeah. Huh. But last book I read. And I also thought about reading um, Grindel, but I don't know anything about it. Have you read oh, that? Um, that's what, Tom Stoppard? I don't know. I, I didn't really pay attention, but it, it's like, it's sort of like a. Through his perspective, right? Yes. Um, through Google's. Did you read that? Yeah, I read that in high school. Um, was it good? Oh, John Gardner. Um, yeah, that's it. I... I don't remember. I remember reading it, and I remember... Like... I remember that there are parts of it that are difficult for me to get through just because I didn't know, like, what the hell was going on. Um, mm-hmm. But it is definitely touted as one of, like, the like the postmodern classics. Um, huh. But, yeah, I, um... I remember, I remember the cover, and I remember, like, the writing style of it, but I don't know if I could tell you very much about it outside of that. Yeah, I was I was kind of interested in it just because I love those stories where we like humanize like the villain, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. I just like. Um, yeah, but, but then I thought, well, is it going to be cheesy? I don't know, you know. I don't know. Like I I know for sure that Beowulf does not come off well in that book, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you harbor any any strong feelings towards Beowulf, you would probably not enjoy it. But. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I would say, like, just give it a shot. Um, I think 
if I still have a cop, well, no, do you do you have a copy of it or are you just? No, I didn't. It's in my cards for Amazon, but I I at one point I was really interested, and then I asked my writer friend Sandra about it, and she just she said that she read some of it, but she didn't get through it. Some parts were horrific, um, which could have been like animal killings for her because mm-hmm. she's like a bleeding heart you know um i don't specifically know it could have been something like sexually graphic um yeah i mean I, I, there was one scene where like i want to say that was it what hrothgar or whoever like the the king was who who got like who beowulf's trying to help out i think his daughter was like a sacrificed to Grendel or something, or I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I might still have a, my copy from high school. So if you, if I still do, if I have it, and you don't mind some like underlining and some marginalia, I will send it to you. Um, well, thank you. I do not mind underlining. Uh, okay. Underlining. I um. Ah, fuck. I'll I'll see if I can find it. I don't I don't remember if that was if that was a book that I held on to, um, or not. But um, so I have I have. Two questions for you that I that I ask uh, towards the end of in the end of my uh, conversations with people on the podcast uh, is just a sort of like everybody that I have on I try to ask these two things for or these two things of um, the first one is if you have the vocabulary for it what is your internal landscape like I would I was a uh thinking that that was going to be the question and I was looking at that um, <laughs> question and you know and I was like that will be the hardest because that will be the hardest one for me to answer but it's also the most interesting um, I can give you I some don't... examples of other other people's answers if if you think that that no, would no, help no no don't help, okay. don't cut my judgment um, okay because I feel so like um Blank and white sometimes that, and also moody. Like I, I feel very, very um, driven by my mood. You know. Uh, however, you know the first thing I thought about because since I moved here to the desert, mm-hmm. um, that I have gotten the most inspiration ever here, which seems so strange, because everything's like dead (laughs) you know like there's no water like the the nearest town is like three hours away because there's there's nothing here right but Mm -hmm. there's just something really calming about it to me it's just um you know i as far as fitting in here i don't think um as far as the people go I mean, I definitely don't fit in as well as I did in um the south Mm -hmm. you know and I don't but as far as like atmosphere, like I am totally serene here, like calm, inspired. Um, it's beautiful to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And I tell my students all the time, I'm like, it's so beautiful. They're like, it's so brown, you know. <laughs> um, and I would have never thought in a million years, but I, I mean, I would have to say it's the closest to that the desert just because i feel so good here like outside and um inspired there's a lot of spirituality here 
it seems. Um, so I, I guess I would say, but, and then again, I feel very, very changeable and adaptable. Okay. So. I, Which I feel like, I mean, from what I've, I've heard of like desert landscapes, like that's, you know, like when it, like when it rains, it's suddenly alive with all of this, you know, color and life and all this stuff and like that will fade away. But you know, it's, it's not like, I, I think that. I mean, I definitely was was under this misconception for a while that, like, deserts are these just kind of static, you know, dead spaces. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's... And we, there are there is some of that. You know, there's a sagebrush and there's a desert. But because of where we are, and it's right in the corner of New Mexico, um, I could drive an hour and be... Oh, less than an hour, about 40 minutes, and be in Durango, Colorado. Mm-hmm. So we do have deserts here, but we also have like Brown Mountain. We also have like Gray Mountain mm-hmm. with you know um, forage, and we have like um, Red Rocks. You know, like it would be in Arizona. So there's, it's not just brown, but it is all very quiet and vacant. Mm-hmm. You know, and socially, no, not the place, but. For, I think, writing and art, well, I think probably one of the best places to be. I mean, it, it, George O'Keefe lived out here for yeah. the majority of her life, and for a reason, like, it's just, I get it, you yeah. know? So, you, this is, this is interesting that, um, you would be, I think, the third person whose internal landscape is reminiscent of, like, Southwest land, of... Yeah like Southwest environs. Um, the first, the first guest of season three, uh, Melissa Weiss was really excited because I, I did a, a writing retreat thing with her, um, and had told her about like my internal landscape and like that idea. Um, so when I got her on the podcast and I sent her the questions beforehand and she saw that when she was really, really excited because she went, she visited, um, Oh fuck. Where did she, I think she was in Albuquerque. Um, mm-hmm. or either Albuquerque or Santa Fe. And she, when she was out there, she was like, I, I found my landscape. Like, this is mm-hmm. it. This, and, yeah. um, one of the guests in season two, uh, the head of my, uh, MFA program, uh, her internal landscape is not like the land of the Southwest, but the sky with a the sky is pretty here. Like you can't imagine, like if you look outside, it looks painted like you can't even imagine the clouds look so yeah in comparison i can't describe it in comparison to um so yes i get that um the other thing is that the the other thing i think about the desert that i identify with is like i feel like it's thirsty and i am always thirsty like physically like i'm not making a metaphor (laughs) like i can't stop like i'm just thirsty like i wake up thirsty um, I'm thirsty now. <laughs> I can down water. Like I'm nobody drinks as fast as me. Like I'm just constantly thirsty. And I feel like the land here must feel that way, you know? Yeah. No, yeah, I can, I can see that. I also think that I just got the, uh, the title for this episode. Um, <laughs> what? I think it's going to be so thirsty. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, 
Cool. Well, that's, that's interesting. It's like, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, um, for those of you who have, who have been listening for years and years and years. Um, but if this is your first episode, uh, the whole, and for you, cause I don't know if you know this, uh, but the whole reason that I started this, um, was that like, I, I have my internal landscape and I've been, I've had a pretty good idea of what it is. I don't know, for the last like three or four years. Um, and for me, it's like, Badlands, like open, expansive, nothing prairie. Um, mm-hmm. And it, there's like, like two um, structures that will randomly appear on the landscape, but for the most part, it's just open, you know, like badlands. Um, and in one of my episodes, towards I think the end of season one, um, I was talking with a poet friend of mine, uh, Sharia Harris, and it came up like before then I hadn't asked anybody else. And then for whatever reason, it came up in our conversation and, um, she, like she had her answer and it was a, um, alien planet that was populated by a handful of other people, which were like voices that she had sort of in, like internal voices that she had. Um, and it blew me away that someone could not only have like an entire planet as a landscape, but it could also be populated because mine, there's like nothing. Um, right. So that was Hers like, is also horrifying to me. I'm like, Oh my God, there are voices here. No. <laughs> but that was like, I was once, once I asked her and we had talked about it, like I became instantly intrigued to be like, I wonder what other people's is like. Um, one of one of my dear poet friends, um, hers was essentially like, like red and pink and purple, really really rich, thick colors like frosting, like that's mm-hmm. what she felt. Or that's what she felt that hers was on the inside. And I was like, this is this is wonderful, and it fits you perfectly. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like that's, and it's it's interesting to me for some people to like, have never thought until they see the prep question. They've never thought about. Like what that could be for them, um, and that's always really an interesting thing too to like to talk to someone who's like I've I have no I've never thought about this before, and uh, you know I don't know if I have an answer or um, mm-hmm. this is maybe what it could be, but um, I don't know. It's it's just it's it's neat. As like a spectator, it's neat to to be to see like people working through that, um, and as is customary, the last question is. Do you have anything that you would like to ask me? Um, I did. I did ask you those things, I think. So, I don't know. Um, it could be, and this is like any anything's on the table. If there's anything that you've ever wanted to ask me or would like to ask me, be well, my guest. Well, now I'm on the spot. <laughs> well, I do. I mean, I'm sure there are things um, that I would love to ask you, but and I, that I, and I can't think of any of them now, which <laughs> the same reason I think I can't write in the same room as other people. But... Um, do you have any um, written work online out right now that is accessible? No, I don't. No? Um, what do you think about online publishing? I uh, I have no... So I have... In general, I'm... I'm pleased. Like, it's, it's the, the sort of, like, I don't... There are no uh, individual online publications that I follow with any sort of regularity. So there's there are none that I'm like super excited or passionate about, or ones that I'm like these are these are terrible. Um, 
But overall, in general, like, I'm excited. I think that, like, I was talking to a coworker earlier today about, um, like, if she would deem the internet, like, it, the conversation, it wound up being, like, if you could, if you could make a judgment call for the internet in its totality, would it come down as, like, net good or net bad? Um, and for her, she was, like, net bad. I just, like, I'm a, I'm an old soul. I think that, that, you know, it's like I miss the days when people actually talked to each other instead of communicating with, like, these devices and had so much of their attention sapped by this thing. Um, and, like, I get it. I That's totally valid. Um, but for me personally, I... I think that the internet is a net good because of its, like, I think that anything that, that has the ability to connect people to other people, like, that's good. Like, I mean, there will be terrible people connecting with other terrible people, but I think overall, like, because that, that can lead to empathy and that can lead to greater understanding and that can lead to just, like, you know, like, I'm, I'm thinking of, like, the thing that always comes up to mind are like trans kids or LGBTQ kids that are living in like really rural, really conservative or traditional um, places that can be online and be connected to like a group or like have a community of people that they feel connected with. Um, Mm -hmm. So on that, on that side of things, the fact that there are like online journals or online literary magazines that are um, like more, more opportunities and more places for writers to publish and for other people, either other writers or just, you know, general consumers of, of literature to encounter more writing. Like anything that gets more of, of art or more of what you're doing out there, I think is great. Um, and I think that it's, I definitely think that there's still a little bit of snobbery with, you know, like being published in a, like a print publication versus being published on an online but i think that that's changing because there are i've um i know of but i cannot think of any off the top of my head of some like really top rate online like online only publications um but you know it's like i feel like that's just it's the sign you know like when printing was a thing you know like I imagine that oral tradition was the kind of the, the, the hallmark of how poetry, how you were going to be recounted in poetry. And then when you could actually read it, you're like, uh, I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, it's been a struggle for me personally to publish stuff or to send things out to be published regardless of where it is. Cause I, um, I don't think that my work would really benefit from that style of like that type of experience or that type of um yeah i guess like exposure or like reader experience um because one of the potentially negative things that has developed after from like my own writing and my own habits from being an editor for like four years um is now that i know like how powerful controlling or having like every aspect of like a book like the the size the the spacing the layout everything working towards a particular uh evoking of a particular feeling Mm -hmm. like i want that for my poetry like i want my poetry to be experienced that way and i want to have like i want to know that i have control over 
control in the sense that it's like, I don't, for a lot of things I, I feel like I, I can't like, I mean, I know how I want it to be experienced and I have the, um, the experience with like layout and stuff that I think that I could get it to that point. Um, but I don't like the idea that a, like a poem of mine would be experienced between two other random poems that I have no control over, like the, the typeset or like the font or any of that, um, kind of, kind of trusts me a little bit. Um, and it's also the, the whole, like the, um, like the time dedication that you have to give to just not only sending your poems out, but doing the, the lots of research to, of reading journals and like finding new things and being like, okay, well, I think these guys, I think some poems would work for here. And I think other poems would work for here. Um, and it's just like, that's, that's something that I have been, I've been resisting doing for a long, long time, but there are some fellowships and some residencies and stuff that I would like to pursue that, uh, you will you will not even be considered for qualification or for um, you're not uh, your application will not even be considered unless you have had like you've published you know like a full length or like a full book or you've had twenty poems appear in like five you know like of note literary journals. Um, so I am uh, very very slowly working up the rust to start sending my stuff out there. Um, but at the moment, again, really long winded answer to say that at the moment, I don't have, uh, anything published, like any of my own stuff published in any literary magazines or whatever. But I do have two chat books that are available on the Akinoga press website. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen them. I know that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a similar thing that I feel about like readings that, the the traditional setup for like a poetry reading is not really how I want my poems to be experienced or like how I want an audience to encounter to my work. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like it's, I don't know, like the, like chat books for me are the ideal way that I want my poems to be like sent out into the world. Um, and I think of course, I think that, um, I, I think that that's, pretty much the only way that sort of makes a difference. How, however, I think when I first started sending stuff out, my initial um, curiosity was to see, do other people like this? Yeah. You know, people that read and people that would, that want to sell, uh, sell their, their actual review, right? Mm -hmm. um, somebody that wants to make money off of this, do they like this? Um, like a curiosity, you know, am I, uh, good enough? Yeah. You know? So I think, I think that, um, if I'm being totally honest, like that aspect of it has always been, um, like there's a, that fear lurking in me of like, I don't, do I really want to know if my stuff is good enough or like if other people like it, um, which I acknowledge is a very much like keeping myself in a very safe sort of comfortable bubble, um, which is, you know, not always and probably very rarely the best thing for you, for, you know, for anyone, um, the royal you. Um, but yeah, there's definitely like, 
I, I will acknowledge that there is some fear and some apprehension of just that, like, putting yourself in that space of, like, I, I don't know if other people are going to like this. Um, right. But, I mean, does it, does it make the fear less um, now that you're, um, you know, publishing other things and you, you kind of understand, like, okay, well, th- just because... I don't want to publish this doesn't mean it's terrible. It means that I don't want to publish it. Yes, right? that's yes. I it um yes, and I I think that just in general, like that that recognition of a rejection is not like this is terrible. It's a more often than not, it's this doesn't really work for us, or it doesn't work for us right now, sort of a thing. Um, or. Quite simply, like, I don't like reading this. Uh, like, I don't re- particularly like The Old Man in the Sea, right? Right, yeah. But Ernest Hemingway is famous, right? right? Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. And that's, um, and so that's that's something else that I think is a, is a great benefit of literary journals is that, or the online stuff, is that it seems like so many, because there's so many of them, they have to kind of carve out their particular, like, thing or their niche um, so like if you're right, let's say you're writing Hemingway style, old man in the sea, there's probably an online literary journal that will love, that would love to publish whatever it is that you're writing. Um, which, you know, like as kind of like what you'd mentioned way, way, way before with off the coast when they publish like young, like age wise, young authors, um, it's just like to build up that momentum or to get that sort of like that first little taste of confidence under your belt to fuel you into the, you know, like the next slog of, um, you know, sending out like 20 poems and having like three of them, if that picked up or accepted in, you know, a journal or uh, a magazine or something. Um, but to have that little, like that taste at first, or that little bit of like, yeah, I can, I, it's like, okay. It doesn't matter if you didn't publish this. I've been published. It's like it, it lowers it lowers that bar of um, I don't know that like it's that so much is riding on this thing. It kind of it drops it just a little bit. And I feel like every every publication I would imagine. I mean, you could probably speak of on this. It's like every publication that you get, like the next rejection doesn't hurt. It's like it's not it's not that big of a blow. Yeah, I I don't I think I feel almost no nothing now. <laughs> I, I mean, mostly when when I think is when I, if somebody rejects me, I think you're an asshole. You know, <laughs> not like oh wow, this probably sucks. I am like you guys are assholes. <laughs> That's my immediate response. <laughs> but you know, um, I, I guess at first it was. I, I think something that, um, you know, my first, one of my teachers that, I, you know, when I was an undergrad, well, I'm still technically, I'm not an undergrad because I graduated, but I, I'm an undergrad, I'm not a graduate student, <laughs> but I said, she said, you know, you should send something out, and I said, well, I don't think it's good enough, I well, and I don't think even I use good enough, I said, I don't think it's ready, mm-hmm. and she says, you, might, you know, you might not ever feel like it's ready, she's like, just do it. You know, yeah, it's good enough. Just do it. Just see, yeah. you know, and it, even, um, you know, Jerry Maguire at uh, UL, he's, you know, he's like, you know, I've heard stories of people sending one poem out like 50 times, 
you know, and then they get published by one journal. It just, it's, it's subjective, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, That's something that's been, like, going for residencies or going for, I don't know, like, grants and stuff, just the recognition that it is so subjective has helped ease some of that stuff. Or, like, there's a, um, I think it's the, like, the Helen Wurzer Foundation does a residency somewhere out in, I think it's New Mexico somewhere. Yeah, um, child. I almost oh, yeah. to just this last summer. Um, and I emailed them, actually, with uh, the intention to apply because I was, um, I had to go home mm-hmm. to Lafayette because my mom was like, in distress about the fact that I hadn't been there in over a year and a half. But uh, so I sent them a message like, how late and early can I, you know, get to here if Mm -hmm. I apply? Because it's, they give you room and board for, uh, I mean, free essentially. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And Taos is like beautiful from what I heard. I mean, it's beautiful here, but Taos in itself Mm -hmm. is like, one of the best places to go here, you know? Um, and, and unfortunately he, you know, he said, well, we like our, you know, and of course they do. We like, you know, you to be able to spend the whole time, you know? And so I didn't apply, but I really, really, really am thinking about it in the years to come. Oh, you, you totally should. So I, I mentioned them because I like the first time that I, I saw that residency, it was like, I want to go do this. And I applied, and I got rejected. Um, mm-hmm. But as soon as the application like window opens up again, I'm throwing my application in there because, you know, who knows? Um, yeah. And it, again, it's like that, that whole idea that like, or the, just the idea of, or maybe the recognition or the realization that, you know, like your work it's dependent upon so much, like even to the point of like what other, what that one screener has seen the rest of the day. Like if they've right. seen a bunch of like nature based, like autobiographical poems, mm-hmm. mine are probably not going to fly so much, but if they see. Or even a... right down to the mood. Oh yeah. You know, oh yeah. You've ever read a poem and then been like, oh, well this was kind of crap. And then read it like a couple days later and be like, why didn't I see this before? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, I think when you're you're going through all this stuff, you're looking for certain things sometimes, you know, whether you like to admit it or not. And, um, you know, you're just trying you're trying to find something that sticks out to you, I think. Yeah. And something something that I, I hadn't thought about, but I think one of my friends brought up um, that like whenever you have like there are certain chapel competitions and other things that I've seen that would have like a guest poet. That is like the, like, um, Marie Howe guested, I think with wave or something along those lines that like they'll, they'll, they'll get a, a relatively well-known poet to sit in as they're like, they're, they're that the person who ultimately chooses the winner for whatever contest they're doing. Um, but for like the screeners, the people that are, that are the first set of eyes that encounter these submissions, like they may curate what they pick based upon what they think the like the guest judge would like you know so it's not it's not just like their own opinion of things or their own what you know whatever they're they're dealing with that day when they're reading it but also the potentially in the back of their mind like well 
like what would be what would be something that Marie Howe would like or something that um I don't know like Denez Smith would would mm-hmm. pick or would think would be like good writing so that you know like there's all there's all these levels of hurdles of these subjective obstacles that you have to pass um right. but it really like it feels the the first couple well I mean I didn't do it with any seriousness but it it had the same sort of feeling like sitting at a bunch of poems or at least like applications for all that stuff it feels kind of like applying to jobs that's like you're you're like you have to, it's almost like you it has to be a full time thing to send stuff out or to have a very um like a very regimented sort of automatic system where you you know like you just you have a form thing and you just you just slip it on out mm-hmm. um because you know it's like sometimes like you're like mcguire said it's like sometimes it it takes 50 submissions of one poem before someone will be like yeah i'm gonna publish this right um it's it's very subjective you know and I, i think that's one of the things that you know got me to submit in the first place you know like but over the fear of like you know um is that not everybody has to like it yeah you know Mm-hmm. But some people like it, so that's good enough. Some people like it enough to put it in their book and then also charge people money for that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think on that note, um, that will pro- I think that'll probably do it for the for the episode. Um, so as. Uh, as always, listeners, um, thank you so much. Uh, I deeply, deeply appreciate all the people who, who listen to this podcast, especially people who are international that I have never met and will probably never meet. Um, I don't know how the hell you came across this podcast, but I appreciate it, and I hope that you continue listening. Um, as I bumbled through in the beginning of the episode, uh, as you've probably noticed, this is go- will be going up uh, on or around Thanksgiving um, so, uh, U.S. listeners, I hope it wasn't painful. Um, if you need a break, thank you for listening to poetry. Um, for those around the world, um, it's probably just going to be another Thursday for you, but I hope it's not terrible as well. Um, Holly, is there anything, any sign off or anything you'd like to say before we close out the, close out the episode? Uh no, just goodbye and keep writing. (laughs) You heard it, folks. Keep writing. And I'll talk to you all next time.